Hey guys, welcome back to Tierna Projects. Pumped to join us today to have Scott Clifton. Uh, we're going to be talking about something, theology, atheism, theism. We didn't really plan this out. So Scott, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm pumped for this conversation and it's going to be fun. I'm just excited to kind of see where we go. So to get things started, Scott, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, let's uh, start here. Uh, just to, just to keep these expectations real low. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm 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 not a philosopher. It's, philosophy is just something I'm interested in. Uh, philosophy, religion, and theology, and stuff like that. Uh, I'm. I, I have no formal education in this area. Everything that I um, know or talk about or like to think about is just a, a product of osmosis from conversations with with people much smarter than I uh, or knowledgeable. I'm I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school uh, because I wanted to be an actor. Uh, I, I grew up in L.A. I was born and raised in L.A. Uh, and acting is kind of just like, you know, part of the culture here. It's like it's a, it's an available job that you can have if you, you know, if you, if you try hard enough. Uh, and so, yeah, since I was young, I wanted to be an actor and and uh, uh, that's kind of what I ended up doing. I got very, very lucky and was able to sustain a, a career doing that. I work on, um, I, I, since I've been about 18, I'm almost 40 now. And since I was 18, I've been doing, uh, uh, soap operas. So I'm, I'm, a, um, by profession, I am a contract actor on, uh, an American soap opera and, uh, um, it's on, it's on CBS. It's called the bold and the beautiful. Um, and, uh, that's, that's my day job. Um, but uh, but I think uh, the love of my life is is um, thinking about uh, these kinds of questions, and uh, I just really enjoy it. I, I I don't know how much detail you want to get into about wh- wh- how I uh, got to this state or or why why I care. So about let's these let's things, let's but... just start with this. So just yeah, get all my like unsophisticatedness out right now. In soap operas, do you like sing? Is that what you, I feel like that's what I heard what you do in soap operas. Am I am I right? Like is that a, oh. is it like singing TV? Oh no 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 soap no soap <laughs> operas are are uh, serialized television shows. Uh, it's like an hour every day. Like my, my, mm-hmm. so, soap operas um, are uh, uh, an episodic show where it's Monday through Friday. Uh, there's an episode every single day, uh, and and it's just an ongoing story. Like it never stops. So there's no there's no seasons. There's no. Uh, there's no end ever. It just go. And so the soap opera I've been on uh, uh, that I'm on now has been going for something like 35 years. Um, and that's the youngest soap opera. So the, the, the oldest soap opera, uh, which is now canceled was uh, I believe it was guiding light. Uh, and that started in like the, you know, 1920s on radio. Right. And, and they just keep on going. The cast changes, the storylines change, one storyline resolves and then another one begins but it's just a, it's just a TV show like anything else, like like Stranger Things or Game of Thrones, except uh, really, really, really low budget, very, very um, uh, efficiency minded. You know, we're, we're basically mm-hmm. doing a, a play every single day uh, with mm-hmm. um, no prep. <laughs> that That's kind of the, the, the skill set there. So uh, and yeah, a lot a lot of uh, a lot of Americans and a lot of people across the world watch these. Uh, they're they're called telenovelas um, in in Spanish speaking countries, um, but it's the same thing. It's um, mm-hmm. just a, a long running serialized television show. Okay, I got you. Well, in addition to being uh, an actor, you're also are an athe- an atheist, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So let's start with this. Like, obviously you have like a big YouTube channel and you do a lot of like, you're interested in philosophy, religion. Um, like what led you to like where you are today um, in your current mind of July 28th, 2022, where you're an atheist talking to me, a Christian. So just tell me a little bit about your journey. Right. Right. Um, I shouldn't say I, I, I you know, it, it's, it wouldn't be right to say that I have a, a big YouTube channel. I think there was a there was a time like back in mm -hmm. like a decade ago when I was kind of one of the the big YouTube sort of players. I really I rarely use YouTube anymore. I'm, I'm prolific on Twitter uh, and, and I still like to have these, you know, like uh, Twitter presents opportunities like this where I get mm -hmm. to have kind of live dialogues and things like that. So I get to sort of stay in that world. But um, I've, I've really neglected the YouTube channel. OK, that said, I. Um, as I said, I grew up in, in Southern California, which is mostly, you know, sort of godless liberal uh, civilization. Mm -hmm. um, and but th there are pockets of conservatism and religiosity in California. And so when I was around eight or nine years old, um, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there was a, a famous earthquake, the, the uh, Northridge quake of 94 completely destroyed our home. Uh, and we had to move uh, out of uh, the San Fernando Valley, which is a very kind of secular, uh, liberal place. And we moved to this this uh, uh, small town that was um, predominantly uh, conservative evangelical Christian, right? And so, um, in order to fit in, uh, you know, all, all of my new friends at, at this place, or, or at least potential friends, were uh, evangelical Christians, and they had not met someone like me. So to be clear, um, I, I should say my um, my family was uh, philosophically inclined. We had lots of, you know, deep dinner conversations and stuff like that, but they were not religious in any way and, and they weren't um, theistic in any way. And in fact, I think in my young naivete, like as a six, seven year old, I, I, I thought of God and heaven similarly to Santa Claus. I'm not actually making that comparison. I'm just saying mm -hmm. in, in my mind, I, I yeah. viewed them as like something that parents would, you know, tell their kids about in order to keep them in line. And then you kind of grew out of it. And, and, th and then when we moved to this um, town, I realized that, no, this is something very meaningful to people. This is something very important to people. This is not like Santa Claus. Uh, belief in God is something that, you know, most of the world takes very seriously. And I've been just kind of isolated from that. Uh, and so I became, it, it, you know, being absorbed into this into this new community uh, and, and not wanting to be a social pariah and not wanting to be totally ostracized. Uh, I sort of allowed myself to become a practice dummy for uh, apologetics and uh, evangelism. And so in order to kind of be a part of that community, I, you know, I, I had to go to church and I went to the Christian summer camp and uh, I did the youth groups and. Um, you know, I did all the things uh, and, and all of my friends and their parents were, you know, constantly trying to get me to see the light. Uh, but but I was you know, I really had no knowledge about, you know, so so people were, you know, I, I was handed case for Christ and evidence that demands a verdict and lots and lots of Bibles. And um, and yeah, and I think that 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 pressure sort of forced me to have to start having my own kind of apologetic, and I mean that in the literal sense of having an answer mm -hmm. um, for a lot of the questions that I was being asked, which, which kind of caused me to start thinking about this stuff. And really, um, relig you know, Christianity, uh, you know, or Christian apologetics was just a gateway drug for philosophy in general. And, and as mm -hmm. I 
as I got older and more, you know, I, I understood the subject matter better. My interests sort of broadened from, you know, does God exist? Did Jesus rise from the grave to do we have free will and what is morality and, you know, what, what explains consciousness? And um, so it just sort of there was a kind of ripple effect there. And that's uh, that's how I got to where I am today. I think that was I hope that was concise enough. Sorry. I, yeah, no, I, I think that was great, well. Scott. And one of the things I appreciate about you and one of the th reasons I want to have you on is thinking about just um, like in the beginning, you talked about how like you're not a professional philosopher, like neither am I. We're just dudes that have day jobs that like really think they think these questions are super interesting. Um, yeah. They're super like worth thinking about. And I love that. Like I remember when I was making, I live in Virginia, but I, my family's all up in PA. So I was making a trip down to Virginia once and I listened to like you and Emerson's like four and a half, like gazillion hour conversation on free will and determinism <laughs> oh, yeah. and all that stuff. And I was like, I was like, this guy seems pretty cool. We should have a conversation about something. Oh, nice. Um, so that was kind of how that came about. But like, to me, like, it just seems like it's an important thing to bring up here. It's just like, it's okay to like, um, as we go, like your journey is your journey and like my journey is my journey. And I don't know where I'm getting it all with this, but I wanted, I wanted to bring it up because I appreciate uh, just how open you are with like, not saying like, hey, I have all the answers. Like, hey, let's explore and think about these things. Nice, nice. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So how have your views changed over time? Like I was, as you were talking, I was scrolling through like your, youtube channel where i can see like 12 years ago where you're talking about like tag matt you're it prologue um i'm just reading off my screen right here um, oh my god it's like how have your views changed like when you first got into like you know philosophy religion and counter apologetics and all these things to like where you are today like what would have been some like the big steps in your journey that's a good question i i always i get a little embarrassed when it comes to questions like this because i i wish that I could say that I've changed my mind about much bigger things than the things I actually have changed my mind about. Mm -hmm. I think when I first started, I, you know, I may have sounded a lot more like a, a kind of new atheist type. I think, I think I, you know, I think I, uh, I probably defined atheism as a lack of belief, you know, and I, 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 I kind of visited all those sort of talking points. I think I, I've, I maybe you know well when I was much much younger it's it, it's just the, about the, the the sort of level of conversation you're able to have right mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, you know w when I first started getting into this stuff I, I just there there's a sort there's a popular level like there's you know what what would somebody what what's the most sophisticated possible response to somebody like Ray Comfort right I mean that was the level at which I think I was operating where um, there's not a lot of nuance. There's not, there's a, there's, I think my style has changed. I think I've become uh, much more open about being wrong. I think I'm much more comfortable acknowledging the things that I don't have answers for. I think I'm much more comfortable. Like for example, one, one area where I may part with a lot of other atheists is I, you know, I think consciousness is going to remain a mystery. Uh, it's not something that you can just explain by pointing to the brain. Um, I think these are these are questions that should keep us up at night. And I'm totally comfortable saying that, whereas I might mm -hmm. not have been, you know, 10 years ago. Um, what? A, yeah, free will. I mean, for, you know, I think early on when I talked about free will, I would have considered myself a compatibilist or something like that. And, and then my views have, have changed on there. My views have changed on morality a little bit. A lot of it, though, a lot of, you know... I think a lot of the changes I've gone through have been much more of a process of refinement than, uh, which is still due to external pressures, right? I mean, it, you know, it's mm -hmm. still, you know, me being called out for, 
um, just not not being very precise in my thinking and me having to to become more and more precise. I don't know if there are any huge questions though that I've changed, like really fundamentally changed my mind about, like does God exist? You know, mm-hmm. none of yeah. And I, and I wish I could say that because um, I think that's a really really valuable part of the human experience is kind of having your entire worldview, you know, r- pulled out from under you like a rug. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the people who have gone from atheist to Christian or Christian to atheist or any variation thereof um, have something really special uh, uh, in, in their experience that, that I don't have and I, I may never get to have. And so, um, yeah, that kind of bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I always heard, like, you know, you were in your group where you'd hear like these crazy testimonies and they'd be like, you know, but like your testimony is just as important. And like, I think you could say the same thing about like you or me, like, you know, like I've been a Christian most of my life. Like I had like very intense doubts. It was, you know, and like, you know, you've been like on the other side of the fence for your life, but like your, your story is you, like you're, you're the, you're the Scott Clifton. Like no one else can be like, Oh, uh, I'm Scott Clifton. I got this story to say. So there's something to just like you and your journey. And I respect that. Yeah, sure. But I also think there's a kind of, um, like dialectical credibility that comes along yeah. with like, I think I said this to Emerson in our conversation about free will, because he is a compatibilist that, that used to identify as a, a you know, a hard incompatibilist like me or. Um... Okay. I need to figure out how to not get phone calls. How do I do that? I turn, I do not I, disturb. I, I, yeah. There's a do not disturb, but where is do not disturb on this menu? Oh, is it that? Do not disturb on. Ha, got it. Okay, there you go. sorry about that. Um, okay, wait, let me, let me start. You're talking about Emerson and you're sharing something yeah, about oh, your journey with Emerson. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this uh, in my conversation with Emerson where, you know, he, because he used to identify as, as a hard determinist like I currently identify, you know, that he comes with a kind of credibility where, where he gets to say, listen, man, I, he, I understand your view. Right. I, I've been where you are. I know what it's like to be you and have the propositional attitudes that you have and, and mm-hmm. feel th- th- how uh, compelling they are. So I know everything, you know, and I still don't agree with you. What does that tell you? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't get to do I can't say that to if I'm having uh, you know, a disagreement with a Christian who says, you'll just never know what it's like to feel the love of Christ. You know, that's what you're missing here. I don't get to say, I do know what that feels like. I just know that that's not what I think that actually was now. You know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think having come from a religious tradition um, gives you a bit of a better, a, a, a more visceral uh, understanding, uh, the, you know, yes, we, I can talk about the arguments and I can talk about the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the tenets of, of the belief in, in a sort of intellectual way, but um, that real personal understanding of having, you know, of, of any view that you used to have that don't have anymore. I think that's valuable. That's all. That's all I'm really mm-hmm. saying. Well, I, I think I agree with you then. Like there's something valuable in like knowing what it's actually like to be in like your dialectical partner, like the, their shoes. So I think there's something super yeah. valuable and important about that. So uh, what do we want to take this? I think one of the things you, that stood out to me, Scott, when you were talking was thinking about the idea of just like how our journeys have changed. Like I think about me, like when I first got exposed to like philosophy and all apologetics and all this stuff, I was like, you know, like kind of the same, but as you just opposite team, like it was like senior year of high school, it's like 
four years ago. And it was like, um, I remember like I had this, like one of the first videos I ever did was like the big brain proves God in two minutes. Like whatever organs do exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. The BGV, the BGV theorem proves that the, there's like a past yeah. like it's over. And I was just like, I come back to that. I'm not like, Oh, he's an idiot. But I'm just like, Oh, there's just, it's so much deeper than that. And, it, and, yeah. the, and like, maybe that's true, but it's just like, it's appreciating like how complex all these issues are. And like, no matter what we talk about, or like what you talk about, there's so many layers to like any question in like philosophy or philosophy of religion, which to me is like, makes it so interesting. Like, it's not like I'm going to like get this all figured out one day. I'm going to open one book and be like, Oh, there's all my answers. I'm done. Goodbye. It's like, that's not how it works. I think that's super cool. Yeah. I think I feel that way about, um, I think like the, the Kalam cosmological argument is a really good example of that. I mean, you, you alluded to it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so deceptively simple. I mean, it just see the, the whole, the, the, the elevator pitch for the Kalam cosmological argument is look, it's two super intuitive premises and a very simple conclusion that follows from them. Like it's, it's like foolproof, right? I mean, it's almost, it's just like right there. Like who, who could deny these things? Uh, and, and that's, what's so great about it because the, the minute you like pop the hood and start like looking, you know, through the engine and taking parts out and uh, you, you realize, I mean, it's not a, a, a real in-depth conversation, a disagreement about the Kalam cosmological argument. It's going to have to do with epistemology and myriology and, uh, you know, metaphysics and science. And it, 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 it forces you to have all these free will even, and the nature of time. And there's so many things that have to be discussed, uh, you know, in, in order to move the conversational needle on that, com on that, uh, on that argument, which, it, which I think is cool about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe then Scott, I'd be curious you talked about in the beginning, like your journey, like um, leading you to like, like you kind of were like always not a believer, but then you like exposed like apologetics and things like this. And you kind of like had your own responses that you developed over time. But like what, like why, like now, like, why are you an atheist? Like, is it because you think like arguments for God fail? Do you think there's things like the problem of evil or like hiddenness that really push you towards atheism? Like when you look at where you're at right now, like what kind of leads you to come to the conclusions that you do? Yeah, I think that, uh, on a, on a, uh, I don't know if emotional is the right word. I mean, in some sense, emotions and, and rationality are, are, you know, all coming from the same parts of the brain you can't really separate them. But mm -hmm. I think for on, on a personal level, what, what's the most compelling atheistic argument is, is the problem of non-belief, um, which it, or sometimes called divine hiddenness, uh, and I think for me, the reason that's that's compelling is because I grew up as as an atheist. I grew up without any kind of belief in God, and so it, it just it 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 seems really really intuitive to me that it that it's uh, that if we if a God existed, we we would know it. Um, we would all just know that in the same way that you know if my my mom exists, I would know that, right? Like I, I you know, mm -hmm. I have a mom. I know my mom. Like why, why on earth would I not know that my mom exists, right? If if she created me, it's that that kind of thing. I, I used to be a little dismissive of of the problem of evil, but I think the more I understand that it's a a family of problems. Uh, uh, the more compelling I think it is, like the problem of animal suffering or the problem of teleological evil, um, the problem of natural evil. I think I think these are all like really, really interesting um, 
they give a lot of evidential weight, I think, against theism. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, and we can, and, and also I, I, you know, there's no particular argument from contingency or Kalam argument or moral arguments. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, at least I, I, what I can say is that I know what it is I don't buy about them and I can articulate mm -hmm. that. Right. So, so on the one hand, yes, it's that theistic arguments are, aren't compelling to me and I, and I can, I can be kind of precise in why I don't think they're compelling. And then on the other hand, um, problem of evil is interesting, but for me, at the end of the day, it's going to be the problem of non-belief. I think that, that we, it, it makes no sense to me that if God exists, we live in a universe where we wouldn't, that wouldn't just be a kind of known thing for mm -hmm. reasons that are articulated within that argument, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we can chat about that in a minute, but I'm curious, sure. like, so Scott, in your view, do you see arguments like, so obviously Craig's a great example to kind of get things out there. Like if you ever like watch a Craig debate or like you debated Craig on the Cameron's channel, I believe, um, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll kind of bring forth like an argument, like whether it's like a Kalam or like fine tuning or whatever. And it's like this kind of like logically and inescapably leads to the conclusion that God exists. Um, Cause he has like yeah. his premises and from the premises follows that God exists. Um, so would you follow like, even like with the theological arguments, do you think that's a better route? Or like for me personally, like I'm more attracted to like, maybe like a Draper or Swinburnian approach where they're kind of like arguments are more like evidential chips where like this may push yeah. you a little bit towards one side or a lot more to one side. Like, where do you land on that? Yeah, that I I'm with you. I think, I think, mm -hmm. I, I think, I, um, I think I had been kind of having this sort of feeling uh, and, and I, once I heard Graham Oppie talk about it saying like, you know, deductive arguments, you know, it's, it's kind of turtles all the way down, right? You don't buy the argument. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then, okay. Then you do, but you look at the premises and how could you, how could you accept these? How could you not, or how could you accept these premises and not accept the conclusion? Well, yeah, I don't accept these premises. Okay. Well, here's an argument for the premises. Okay. Well, here's an argument for a premise in the argument for the premises. And mm -hmm. clearly it, it, it's uh, like I said, it's going to be a kind of turtles all the way down situation where there's, there's just going to be a fundamental disagreement that, that, um, you're not going to get past deductively. And so mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, Oppie's idea that what we really should be comparing here is, is I think what he calls theoretical virtues where, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at the big picture of, of um, both worldviews and seeing, you know, what explains the most at the least cost. Uh, and yeah, I agree that that's a, I think a better way of, of thinking about this. Mm. So maybe then let's talk about like the argument from non-belief for a little bit. I don't see this as at all like a debate. I'm actually going to get my friend in here. He's going to like yeah, yeah. For you in a debate in like five minutes. He's just downstairs. So I'm going to call him up in a minute. Um, <laughs> but, but like what push it, like, I'd be curious to like hear what you say and maybe if I have anything and da, da, da. Um, like what the argument from non-belief, you talked about this, like what really pushes this towards you, like towards like atheism for you? It's not. Yeah. So, okay. Um, do, so the, the, the the more specific the theistic belief for me, mm -hmm. the more powerful the argument from non-belief is going to be, right? But if you're talking about, if you're talking about a sort of really, really general theism, um, like there's a creator, omnipotent, omniscient, morally perfect, I don't know, you know, but there, there's some, there's some kind of, you know, I, I'm actually not great with uh, what that's called. Is that called, what's the opposite of theistic personalism? Is it... Um, like, uh, like deism uh, or there's like an impersonal god no i'm not going that far uh but um uh open theism skeptical the skeptical theism is that what it is it's it, where you just really can't know anything about god uh, yeah, I, I, like, i'm totally watching theist would say no you're good yeah. i mean 
yeah yeah skeptical theists would say like we don't really know like god's reasons for evil and then it's okay. gonna be hard to like stop it there so that's why i don't like skeptical okay theism. that's what, yeah. yeah that's that's a little mm-hmm. different from what i'm talking about this, this is why i need to i don't read i don't read enough philosophy is the problem <laughs> I, I can like come yeah. to this stuff and then and then somebody tells me after the fact like oh that's what draper says and i'm like oh okay cool <laughs> uh um yeah so okay so if you if you believe in hell uh you know okay if you believe especially in like an eternal conscious torment version of hell then the non-belief the the argument from non-belief is like almost unassailable as far as i'm concerned right um uh in the context of of christianity right if you believe in some other version of hell where you know hell is more like you know annihilation or something i guess maybe annihilationism is different from some version of hell but anyway the, the more if you give up on that altogether, if you, okay, so if you have a version of Christianity where it's like universalism, where everybody gets saved no matter what, then the argument from non-belief becomes even less powerful. And then if you, if, if you don't believe in an afterlife at all, you're just talking about theism in general, then non-belief becomes even less powerful. Um, so I, I think it's the, that particular problem scales with how specific uh, your your theism gets um, so I, I don't know your views on on uh, uh, hell or soteriology or yeah uh, any of that but um, I think I would I would the, the conversation changes depending on who you're who you're talking mm-hmm. to so yeah no it's hard I was talking with Emerson about this um, and it's up on my channel for anyone that's curious about it we talked about this like a few weeks ago because he's been like thinking about like Christian universalism a lot so we talked about like his devil, devil's advocate case for God and we got into like plausible forms of Christianity so I guess for me I don't know I mean I definitely think like a version of Christianity where you have that like everyone that does that like doesn't adhere to the intellectual proposition that like God raised Jesus from the dead and um, something like that. Like they're all going to hell. Like that's really hard for me to just believe for similar reason that you would. Um, obviously, you know, there's different versions of like eternal conscious torment. Like it's really hard for me. And I, like I'd lean towards like annihilationism, like a version of like where Lewis and the great divorce talks about hell. Like I see that as possible. Um, so that's one thing. So like I'd lean towards like annihilationism, but then I'm also like, like I'm a hopeful universalist. Like, I don't know, like, why would you want people to go to hell? Like, that just sounds terrible. Um, so like, I'm not going to hope for not universalism, even though like I'm like, there's like very like theological reason that make it hard for me to accept that. Um, but for me, like one of the things that helps me think about like non-belief is the idea of like, do you actually like have to have in like your intellectual inventory? Like when you get to heaven, like you're going to get like a theology test. Like, did you believe that like, in like the incarnation, the Trinity, things like this. And to me, it seems hard to think like you have to pass a theology test to get into heaven. Not to say you can just believe whatever on earth you want. Um, But I think Lewis puts this really well. So are you familiar with like the last battle where Lewis talks um, with Tash and things like that? I think I had to read that in school, but I don't remember it. Okay. So I'll just summarize it just very briefly because it helps me think about like when I'm like, what's a plausible version of trying to explain like where you could have like Christian exclusivism, like which is something I'd hold to, but also try to make sense of like people that are going to never hear the gospel um, or like hear of Christianity or things like this. Um, so it's the end of the last battle, C.S. Lewis. And there's this dude named Tash or maybe the God is Tash. I, yeah. It's the, the, the God, this guy is serving is Tash. He's not the right one. So it's the end of the day. And there's like this soldier, this dude, and he's like, Oh shoot, I just spent my whole life serving Tash. I'm kind of screwed now. Um, Cause Aslan, he's the true one and I'm, I'm going to hell. And what Aslan says is, um, Oh, I think I know this. It's it's something like you're kind of, if your heart's in the right place, but you are serving Aslan, even Mm -hmm. if you don't realize it intellectually that you, you are serving as it's, it's, that's the sentiment there, right? 
Yeah, so the guy, he's talking yeah. to Aslan, and he says, I said, Lord, thou knowest how much I understand, but I said also, for the truth constrain me, yet I've been seeking to hash all my life. And then Aslan says, beloved, says the glorious one, um, until that desire has been for me, thou wouldst, thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. Um, and there's another thing where like what you did for Tash, um, I count as what you did for me. So like, if you're seeking truly, like you're going to find it. And even if you don't have like the intellectual proposition, um, you're doing pre- like you're, you're, you're going to be saved because you're tr- like you're actually seeking truth and doing something there. So all that to say, like for me, like that's a more plausible form of Christianity that I think like you can still have like Christian exclusivism and things that like, you know, your evangelical wants to have. But then also like try to make sense of like a lot of people never hearing like Christianity or things like that. Yeah, I, well, I certainly agree. That's a more plausible version of Christianity. I, I, I think that um, th- there's another element here, though, which is this idea that so on one level, we can talk about the idea that in a lot of versions of Christianity, people are punished for failing to believe certain propositions, or at least mm-hmm. th- that's not the an- I mean, the, the answer to that is that, no, they're not punished for for failing to believe those propositions. They're fail. They're, they're punished for their sins. And because they don't, um, uh, because because they aren't, but the, but they can't be saved if they don't acknowledge their sins. And so, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, certain propositional beliefs are are necessary for salvation. And if you don't have those beliefs, then you're punished. So we there's that conversation. There's that problem of, yeah. of non-belief. The, the 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 kind of morality problem of non-belief, where mm-hmm. it's unjust, right? Where you have people being punished for. Uh, you know, a failure to be convinced by certain propositions, uh, ultimately. Um, that's not, so the, the problem in in the version of Christianity that you're describing is not a moral problem, if, it, if it's the case that if you, if you have something like universalism or, or like in what C.S. Lewis is saying, that as long as, you know, even if you're a Hindu, but you're sincerely, you sincerely care about being a good person and seeking the truth, then that counts, you know? Well, I wouldn't, um, sorry to interrupt, but I wouldn't say just, it's like just being a good person. It's like actually just like trying to serve and follow God. Cause you know, like, you know, evangelical distinctions between like good persons, like you're not saved to that or things like that. Like someone like, oh, I think Lewis is getting at someone that's actually like genuinely trying to like serve God and follow the truth to the best of their ability. So sorry to interrupt. Oh, okay. Well then, well then that would still be a problem for me, right? Because I'm not, I don't believe in any God. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to serve a God. I'm trying to serve principles. I'm trying to serve mm-hmm. other people. I'm trying to serve, you know, my country or whatever. But the, but I'm not doing this for God. I'm not doing this with God in mind. Morality to me is totally divorced from theism. So the the question there would be, okay, you know, do do I do, am I saved, you know, or or not? Uh, and if I'm not saved, then that's a bit of a problem because at the end of the day, the reason, you know, the, the, what was necessary for my salvation was a certain propositional belief, in, you know, in some kind of God. Um, that that I fail to be compelled by, which which I think is is unjust for somebody to um, maybe not be punished, but but not be re- rewarded for that. Um, so like even if I were like annihilated and everybody else went to heaven, um, that still seems unjust. Um, and then the other the other I mean even on a like more mellower tone, uh, just the idea that if if you view God as a being that created us and loves us and wants a relationship with us, take punishment out of the picture altogether, that's still a problem, right? Um, Imagine my mom, you know, creating me, loving me and wanting a relationship with me and somehow, and, and, and then imagine her having 
you know, infinite power and infinite resources. Uh, and then imagine her not letting me know that she, me, me living my entire life without knowing she exists. That's not love, right? That's not someone who wants a relationship with me. That it, it's, it's almost easier to assume my mom doesn't exist than to assume she exists, but she's purposely doing this for, you know, what, whatever reason you might want to come up with. It just seems totally implausible. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a lot here. So yeah, sorry. here's one of the things, no, no, don't be sorry at all. There's nothing to be sorry about. Um, here's one thing that I think that's interesting that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, because, you know, there's a the question of like how much, like you can't force yourself to believe something, but obviously right. like you have some control over your actions. Obviously we're not getting into the free world debate. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like Pascal's wager and not in the sense of like, um, you know, sometimes it gets portrayed as like belief. Um, like it's better to believe than not. Like, yeah. I think it's going to be hard for you to just like wake up one day and be like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to believe this. But one of the things right. I've been wondering is like, what if you just commit to it? So like one of the things, and not, I'm not talking about you personally, but um, unless maybe I am, but like, oh, thinking about, like Pascal, yeah, sure. yeah. One of the things he talked about is he talked, I believe it was him. And like, here's a quote I pulled up where he's talking about like, what do you do? Like, if you want to like say attain faith, since he's talking about whoever he's talking about as someone that wants to like um, be a Christian, but just can't like, can't, put all the dots together. Can't like see it as true. And he says like, what can you do to cure yourself of your unbelief? Um, he said this, he said, learn of those who have been bound like you and who now stake all their possessions. These are the people who know the way which you would follow and who are cured of an ill, which you would be cured. Follow the way by which they began by acting as if they believe taking the holy water, having masses said, etc. So interesting to me is what Pascal says is like, say, like maybe you don't, like have that like intellectual belief in like the gospel or something like that. Like you could sure live like it. Um, and it seems like consistent with like New Testament teaching where like, it's not just about like having the intellectual proposition that God exists. Um, that seems pretty obvious if you like, I think most religions would agree. Like it's not just about like believing, like having that proposition in your mind, but it's about how you live with your life, how you express yourself. Um, so I think there's something to that where it's like, well, it's not just about believing, but it's about living like it. It's like, even if you don't believe it, you can still live like it and have hope that maybe, um, things will pan out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've thought about that as well, uh, you know, and, and the, the paradox there is that what, why would you, why would you want to behave as if some proposition is true, even if you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, right? Like imagine mm -hmm. me saying to you, listen, you know, I, I know you can't convince yourself that the earth is flat. Like, I, I know, I know that that's just like really hard for you to believe. Like you can't just mm -hmm. like choose to start believing that the earth is flat tomorrow. But, but listen, man, like, why don't you just try just, just like, you know, spend the rest of your <laughs> life living as if the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. That seems we that would feel weird to you because you're going, why would I do that unless I already believed intellectually mm -hmm. that the earth is flat like there's no so it's it's almost like paradoxically i would have to believe intellectually that christianity is true in order to think that it was that, that i had a good reason to treat christianity as if it were true even though i didn't mm -hmm. believe it right it's like a catch-22 uh, it doesn't it it almost you know not this isn't right but it almost kind of begs the question do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm tracking with you. So I think what I would say is I'm thinking about like, why don't I just like go join a bunch of like flat earth groups and like go get on my boat and prove that the earth is flat and I fall off in outer space and die or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> and like for me, it's like, I'm thinking I'm like, that's going to give me to little to no like value for, for me personally. Like, what am I going to gain from like living that way? 
and it seems like it's not a lot. Maybe okay. Like if I'm not convinced, yeah. Go ahead. I take your point. So let me control for that objection and just say instead of flat Earth because there's not there's no um, you're right there's no uh, reward promised for believing in a flat mm -hmm. Earth right. Uh, yeah. Instead of flat Earth, let's just say uh, Islam right? Yeah. Like, why don't you just, you know, if, if, if Islam is true, then clearly, you know, there's a reward for it and there's a huge punishment, uh, for not mm -hmm. believing it. Um, so why not just like, why don't you Zach just, you know, fake it till you make it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and you would, I think you would hear that and go, right. But I would need a reason to think that Islam is true before I had a reason to think that I should act as if Islam is true. Right. I already mm -hmm. believe Christianity is true. I already think that my reasons for my belief in Christianity are good, solid reasons. Um, so why, mm -hmm. why would I do, why would I undertake this exercise unless I actually had a better reason for thinking Islam is true and I, and I am just having some kind of emotional block. Um, yeah. the, the paradox remains for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say you got to choose the path that I think would give you, that you think has the best chance of giving you like eternal bliss or something like that. So if you think it's Islam, then, go ahead, I guess. Um, obviously, like, I don't think it's Islam, like I'm not a Muslim. Um, but, like for me, that's kind of like what I would say is like, if you think that like Islam is going to give you the best chance at eternal bliss, then okay, good for you. I mean, I still think, I think you're wrong, but like, yeah, I mean, but should what, what that, do you think is at? that, is that the right way to live? I mean, is the right way to live to do whatever you can to maximize your chances of eternal bliss, at, 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 even if it comes at other costs that, that you really value? I, I'm not so sure that eternal bliss is the most important thing to me, um, it, it, especially when it's not a guarantee of eternal bliss, but it's, you know, let's say, let's say I think that, um, and, and I do think this, that eternal bliss is in fact uh, an oxymoron, right? Like I, I don't actually think that there's no, nothing can be blissful for eternity, right? Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that's a failure of my, you know, primate brain's ability to conceive of what something like heaven would actually be like. That's all fine. But, but for now, let's say that I don't, you know, I think that the, the highest chances are um, it's most probable that that there's no such thing as eternal bliss that is available to try to work for, right? So how much of my other values am I really willing to sacrifice on the 0.0001% chance I think that there is, that there's an eternal bliss and that I want that? Um, I'm not sure that's rational, actually. I, I, I'm not sure it's rational to pursue that because it, it actually, it, it requires me to sacrifice um, the values that I, that I do have, which I think are important. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm tracking with you. Like I'm thinking like, say there's like a 0.00001% chance that if I run out of this room right now and shut my Chrome, my, not my Chromebook, my laptop and like everything I have and buy a plane ticket to go to, I don't know, Bolivia right now and go climb like the highest mountain in Bolivia. Like if I do that, like, that's going to give me eternal bliss. Like that doesn't seem very rational for me to do that. If there's a 0.0001% chance of that right. happening. So I'm, tra I'm, tra I'm tracking with you there. Obviously, and I may be, by the way, I, to be clear, like I may be incorrect that there's a 0.0001% chance of that happening. But mm -hmm. if, if I believe that right now, what am I to do with that information? You know, what, what am I to do about that belief of mine? You know, that if I'm convinced that's true, since I can't choose my beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, like I, back to the commitment thing, but I would say something like what I'm trying to get at is like, 
when I think of like the Christian view of heaven, and I'm not super familiar with like other religions, like I've read the Quran or like the Book of Mormon or things like that. Um, but like I'm not super familiar with their theologies. And I think about like Christian, like what what should I be aiming doing? It's not like for me, it's not like, hey, say your prayer, make sure you don't mess up, and like then you'll be in heaven and you'll get taken care of and be like a nice like pushy resort or something. You'll just chill out and you'll be good. It's to me, it's like it's more of like a virtue thing. Or like as a Christian, I'm trying to become more and more like God, so like like Christ. Um, so like, what could be more valuable than that? Like, if I could like pursue like a better path for me is like as a as a human being, as a moral person. Like to me, that seems more valuable than anything else. So if Christianity gives a path that I see as like the most plausible path towards that, then that's something good, something I should pursue. Right. Okay. But if but if you were like, but you already accept Christianity mm -hmm. as a true proposition, or at least a true set of propositions. What mm -hmm. if you're someone like me? Who still cares about being an, an ethical, as ethical a person in the world as I can be, um, but I don't think that Christianity is the only or even best way to do that. I mean, what mm -hmm. what what am I to do in that situation, which is the situation I'm, I'm currently in, right? Like, I, I care about ethics, I care about morality, I care about you know living the good life, whatever that that may end up being. Um, but it's not clear to me what, while it is true that Christianity certainly. Uh, offers, you know, a, a, a means to achieve that. It, it's not, um, it's not the only offer on the table, and it mm -hmm. may not be the best offer on the table, right? It, it also comes at a cost of having to believe a whole bunch of things, propositions that I don't, that I have a hard time believing are true, right? When I could, I could uh, still have that pursuit without that cost of, of believing mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things that I find implausible. So what, what, what is someone like me to do there? So I think there is, there's something good. I was trying to like, just draw this out because it helps me think about it. So I see what you're saying. Like, there's this question of like, Hey, like, you know, you could say like, you could try to commit to the Christian thing, but maybe there's like these teachings there or something that I don't like that Christianity has. Cause I don't think they're the best path for like humanity or for myself or for my family or things like that. So it's like, Hey, like, why don't I pursue like what I think is like the good life. And for me, I think there's one thing, um, I think it's gonna kind of get into the question of like, well, like I believe in God, you don't, but like for me, like what Christianity would have, or like, you could say the same thing about like Islam. Or Judaism, right. like insert your religion. And that's why I'm saying commit to what you think is most plausible is like a theistic, like a perfect being. Um, so I would say that like the good life or something like that doesn't have that. I don't want to say reward because I don't like the idea of saying like you're just rewarded for because I think there's something like very selfless about fundamental nature of love. Um, it's yeah, it's just like self. -serving. Well, and also something like love which is almost certainly a part of the good life, whatever that is, is its own reward, right? I mean, love, mm -hmm. we don't love, well, we don't have to, I guess I should say, we don't have to love because there's a reward for being loving. Yeah, We love because loving is rewarding, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the things like I pursue and like I care about most dearly, they're not things that like that I love just to like get some sort of like reward from it. I just love them because I, I want to love them because it's beautiful, like it's a good thing. Um, right. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where I think we? we're. I think we just agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, wait. Christians and atheists can't agree, though. So like, no, that's, no, that's against the rules. No, we that's can't what that. 2018 or 2019 yeah. staff would be like. Wait, what are you doing? Um, I, well, I do. Okay, so uh, well, let me pose this to you, just because we're we're kind of like dancing on the edge of this, and maybe maybe I'll add, I'll, I'll I'll throw. I never do this, but I'll, I'll throw out a like a provocative kind of thought experiment. <laughs> um, okay. Um. You know, a, a lot of, so, uh, you know, there's a, there's an apologetic, I, I don't know if you would sign off on this, but there, but there's a kind of um, apologetic way of thinking that, which says that 
it, it, if you believe in God, at least, if you believe in the afterlife, there is at least an incentive for selflessness, like true selflessness, like true mm -hmm. self-sacrifice, right? You, you can, there's a way of, if you believe in God and heaven and or hell, um, then there's actually a way for you to live in the world where your self-interests are not the most important thing in on earth, right? Like you can, mm -hmm. you, you, there, there, are there are good reasons for you to sacrifice your own interests for the interests of others. Whereas if there is no God and no afterlife, it's really hard to argue that there are good reasons for self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um I'm not sure how how if you if you f follow that line of reasoning, it, it so sounded like maybe there's um, something you were saying implied that you know that, that if you're really interested in the good life, if you're really interested in being ethical, then then um, you know belief in God or an afterlife gives you a kind of foundation for that that you wouldn't have otherwise. Does that does that sound like a a, a reasonable sort of apologetic move to you? Okay, that's good, Scott. Um, I wouldn't go the full like nine yards of saying you know, like Christianity gives you like life, purpose, and meaning, and atheism. Like you don't get any of that. Like you can't have any of that. So I wouldn't go. No, the not yet. Yeah, not even all that. Um, just. just um, I mean, I would say there's something to it. I'm still like hashing th these things out, just like as we're talking right now, um, which is why I think this is so great and hopeful, hopefully helpful for people listening. But for me, like yeah. I think about Christianity, like it gives you the sense of like, um, I, like I'm still like this is the edge of my thinking, uh, but it's like a way of the good life for me in a Christian perspective is like a self-sacrificial life that allows you to like love and serve God, which is the ultimate good. Um, something like that. So I don't like, I think on atheism, like you can't have that. Like you could still like have self-sacrifice, which is a good thing. Like I think of Pat Tillman, like the NFL player that fought in Iraq or Afghanistan, like he sacrificed right. his life for America, which is a good thing. Um, and like, he's an atheist, but it's like, you know, I don't think you can have you can't have everything the theist has. And I think that the, what the theist has is better. I guess that's kind of the way I would hash it out. If that makes sense, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you where I was going with that. Um, the, the, okay. the, the thought that, that is always percolating in my mind when it comes to, uh, you know, the afterlife and, and ethics and morality and incentives um, is that one of the problems that I see with the afterlife is that it actually does the opposite. It, it removes um, the ability for self-sacrifice. If, if self-sacrifice gets you an eternal reward, um, then it's not self-sacrifice, it's actually self-interest. And so the, the, the hypothetical that I pose um, uh, to uh, you know, a, a Christian in, in this case would be, well, here, okay, here's, does, does your Christianity give you a reason for true self-sacrifice, which would be something like, would you give up your salvation for me? Like that would be true self-sacrifice. Would you, yeah. would you give up heaven? Would you go to hell or whatever version of hell is most plausible so that I could go to heaven? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think most Christians, if they're being kind of honest, would say, 
uh, no, I can't, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and of course that, you know, the wheels start turning and, and, and there's, there, you can give a lot of kind of ad hoc reasons for why, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it, like, it wouldn't be just like what, well, it wouldn't be just for you to go to heaven and for me to go to hell because, you know, or, or um, it's moot because God would never offer me that, you know, that opportunity to sacrifice myself for you anyway. But, but whatever the case, I think, I think, it, it, you know, uh, a Christian posed that question um, could recognize themselves trying to come up with reasons why they shouldn't have to make that sacrifice in the first place, instead of mm -hmm. saying, yes, that is, that would be a, a noble example of self-sacrifice that my worldview um, incentivizes or not even incentivizes because that uh, there can't be an incentive by definition for self-sacrifice. Right. So, but, and yet what's funny is, if Christianity is true, an atheist is capable of self-sacrifice, like true self-sacrifice in a way that a Christian is not because of their propositional beliefs. And that's like a weird, trippy irony to me um, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that's part of this dialectic. Okay. So there's a lot. Here. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of um, that? Well, I'll tell you first what, 10 year old Zach would think about this. Cause I thought I used to think about this question a lot. I was like, what do I do if I get up to heaven? And like, I have my ticket right there, get into heaven and someone like there's someone going to hell. Like, what am I going to do? And when I thought like yeah. I was 10 year old, 10 years old, I was like, I'll do a lot of good things for people, but I'm not giving them my ticket. That's, that's what I thought <laughs> when I was like 10 years old. Um, I'm not I sure I would either, you know, it's, it's hard. What 21 year old Zach is going to say now is I don't think that scenario is actually like possible because it gets in a little bit of my eschatology but like i'm gonna adhere to something like a louis like c.s lewis's version of hell or something like that where the gates of hell are gonna be locked from the inside or like the annihilation or things like this like the people are in heaven are the people that want to serve and follow god the people in hell are gonna people that don't they have something more important than god that they're serving or following or something like that so i know it's kind of a cop-out answer but for me that's kind of like what, what would you do if god told you to commit what would you do if god told you to do something that's like morally wrong and I would say, well, God's never going to tell me to do that. So like in a similar way, I would say like with the tick, cause God's a perfect being. Um, obviously if God's not perfect, then, you know, that question could crack open. Um, in a similar way, I'd say that like with um, your scenario with like letting someone else into heaven in your place, I'm going to say that scenario is not possible because, you know, God wills all people to be saved. And there's no one that's going to hell that would have been like, oh man, if I just like heard the Kalam cosmological argument, everything would be different. Like, I don't think that's how that's going to work. Um, yeah. So, yeah. okay. Well, let me, let me, let me try to control for that concern and, and create a hypothetical. Let me, let me spin a story for you that might make okay. something like this scenario more plausible, right? Let's say, let's say you die and, and you're met with God and you, you're finally, you're face to face with God in, in some form or another. And God says, listen, here's the thing. You've learned about Jesus Christ, my son, your whole life, right? You know about his sacrifice. You know that he lived a perfect life. You know that he, you know, everything he did was done out of love um, and, and love for everyone, even his enemies. You, you know the story. You know the morality of it. You know what's, what I've been trying to instill in you your entire life. Here's your test. The test is, and this is for every human being, um, you now have a chance to be like Jesus, right? The, the, you, being Christ-like is the point. And what's the one thing that Christ did? He went to hell so that sinners, people who don't deserve it, could go to heaven. Now is your opportunity to do the same thing. Um, 
you know, and so, so there's, there's a, there's a kind of theological, you know, this may not be true, you know, but I'm, I'm creating a hypothetical where there's a real, there's a theological reason. There's a real test here. Uh, and it, maybe it's a test. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just the way that it has to end, but you know, you, God says, can you, can you be like Jesus? You know, so would you, will, you know, here you go. Are you going to go to hell so that so that this atheist, this you know, sinning atheist, uh, can be saved? You know, again, that's even for me. Even if I were a Christian, I want to believe that I would, you know, do that. But I don't know. But but there's nothing about Christianity that actually gives me that incentive. Um, or not. Again, I keep using the word incentive, but it's by definition there is no incentive, right? Because there's there's there can't be any reward for it if it's actual, true self-sacrifice. So, if, if I pose the question that way, how, how do you react to that? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot here. Um, first thing I was thinking about was thinking about like the incarnation. Um, so I was thinking about like it's like under the Christian story, like we have a similar scenario, not the same, but similar as to like what you were talking about, like. Like we believe, like I believe, not we, um, I believe in like the second person of the Trinity, the son, like taking the flesh, the person of Jesus, um, and then yes. undergoing like suffering and pain and death and, you know, descending in hell, these things um, for the sins of the world, for like for my sins, your sins, things like that. And I, I think there's something really beautiful about that. So then again, with your scenario, I'm going to wonder like in question, like part of my background knowledge as a theist is like God is perfect. It's like God's not going to challenge not god's not going to have me do something that's like morally wrong something that's imperfect and i'm going to say with like that atheist um let's say like with the eternal conscious torment that's in hell uh what i would say is is the only way they'd end up in hell is if that's where they wanted to be so there's no point in me say like going to like going to hell or dying like whatever you want to say for them because if they're going to be given that chance to whoever that atheist in hell is they want to be in hell like that's what they want to be and it may not be expressed like i'm sure you would not want to say like i want to be in hell um but I'm thinking more of like the yeah. Lewis great divorce scenario where he's going to bring different people up um, to like the gates of heaven. And like, I remember one of them's like, I think it was the father of a girl um, who, who, who's murdered. Um, and like the murderer and his daughter are sitting there like in heaven. And he's like, he's right there in the, the bus driver, whoever it is. It's been years since I've read this, but they're like, Hey, come on to the dad, like come join us in heaven. It's going to be a great time. And there's going to be like love and happiness and all these things. And he's like, but he's there. I can't do that. And it's something that held him back. So I would say something similar to like, like there's no, when we get to like that eschaton, it's not like there's going to be someone um, that really wants to be on the other side. And it, it's not going to be expressed in the way of like the person saying like, I want to be in hell, uh, but it's going to be saying, I want this instead of that bliss or that fellowship there. Um, does that make sense? Am I speaking clearly? Am I confusing you? Yeah. It, um, well, let me ask a question and then, and then I'll tell you if it makes sense. So, so what couldn't, what, why couldn't Jesus have done the same thing? Why couldn't Jesus have said, Listen, you know, anybody that goes to hell wants to be there anyway. Why am I sacrificing myself, God? Well, it's going to depend on your theory of the atonement, obviously. Um, so if right. you're something like penal substitution, you're going to say like this had like this had to happen. Um, and there's all other kind of theories of the atonement. I don't have my mind exactly made up on the atonement. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. going to be like whatever your atonement theory is, um, it's probably going to be your answer. And that's something I'm still like very much fleshing out and don't have a lot of detail on um so yeah okay uh yeah all right then then let's then let's let, let's just shift to this is fun if if you're having fun oh, um, yeah. um yeah let, let let's explore uh the um the idea that someone like me 
wants to be in hell. Um, can you unpack that more? Yeah. So again, I'm not like totally committed to this position. Um, but this is for me, if I'm going to, if eternal conscious torment is true, this is the only plausible model that I see as possible. Like I, like, I don't really even lean oh, towards I this because yeah. I'd hold to something like annihilationism I see as more plausible. Right. Cause I think what I'm about to defend is going to have some issues that like, I think it's like, it's something that like, I'm like, this is plausible, but I don't think it's likely. Um, but I would say it's like something like if eternal conscious torment is true, this is really the only model that I see as something that is at least a little bit defensible. And it's Lewis's model where like the gates of hell are locked on the inside and say that yeah. person um, that that's in hell, like they, they, they want something or they love something that's not God more than God. So like it's loving, like it can even be like um, being like a good, like father or mother or being like a good person or something. Like if there's something that they love, that's more important to them than like God itself, it's eventually going to destroy you because that can't bring you eternal happiness. So I'm still working this model out, but something like that is what I would say is the starting place with how I try to explain that. Okay. So, so, you know, what if, okay, I have a six-year-old son, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and he has a pet cat. Uh, And let's say that cat, you know, fell into the lake and my son jumped into the lake after the cat because, you know, this, this cat, you know, this, his pet cat is just the most important thing to him. It's more important Mm -hmm. than his relationship with me even. Right. Um, And my son, you know, basically dives into this lake and he doesn't know how to swim and he's going to drown because he wants to be with his cat. He wants to be with his cat more than he wants to be with me. Um, Am I a good parent? for letting him do that for me going, you know, kind of going, well, you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's what he wants. If he doesn't want to be with me, if he doesn't want to live, you know, that's his choice. Or would a good loving parent, I mean, if I, if I love my son, what, what is the loving act, right? Do, do I let my son do that? Should, and so the analogy here is wh- why is God letting someone allow themselves to be tortured for eternity just because they don't they don't love the right thing or want the right thing as a god has all the knowledge we don't god has all the wisdom we don't god has all the morality we don't right that that a parent's job is is to know more and to know better uh and to look out for our interests right and to uh teach us and correct us and train us not to go well you made your choice tough shit right so mm-hmm. th- this idea that that the doors of hell are locked from the inside you know it, it is a fact about human nature that people are really not good at knowing what they really want they're not good at knowing what would make them happiest and a parents and especially children are not good at this right if mm-hmm. my son could play video games all day long and do absolutely nothing else he should and yet i know even though he's going to cry when i make him put the game down it's better for him. And, and I don't care what he wants. I care about what's best for him because I love him so much. And mm-hmm. so I'm in a way I'm causing him to do something he doesn't want to do out of love. I think the relationship between humans and God should or would be any different from that. Right. So let's say I'm in hell. The doors are locked from the inside because for whatever reason, there's something I value more than I value my relationship with God. But I'm, but, this will cause me infinite suffering, right? Infinite suffering. How is, how is God anything but a failure of a parent for not going, I don't care what you think you want. You need to be here with me in heaven. 
Yeah, so this is one of the things that would push me towards like a non like eternal conscious torment view. Um, I mean, there's some things you could say yeah. in, de- in defense. Um, there's a really good video that got put out a few weeks ago. Um, it was on, I think, the dry apart. No, it was on Christian Idealism's channel. But it was like, like Kyle and her Christian Idealism, John Buck, and um, dry apologist, Caleb Cumberland. And they were talking about like Catholic perspectives on hell. And they all were like talking about different models that would be something like an eternal model of hell. Um that are a lot different than what we think. Um, so I yeah, recommend yeah. Put, pointing people towards that where like you could maybe like have like a view and hash it out differently. But like for all I want to say for this point is like, that's one of the reasons, like I think you're onto something where like, it's hard for me to see like the internal version of hell. Cause to me, it's like, it'd be better for that person to just like not exist um, than to like eternally right, suffering. Right, right. Um, yeah. And like, I know there's like counter, I'm not, I don't want to be like, Oh, he's right. Like, I'm just saying like you're onto something and it pushes me. Like obviously Christians can say something in response and I know you're not. Yeah. Like, I, I completely I acknowledge all the answers. answers to what I'm saying yeah. here, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, um, but again, so, so even if we, so even if we put, you know, eternal conscious torment aside and we, and we take a view of like annihilationism, it's still, then I think, I, I think that you still have a problem of non-belief of sorts. Um, but the problem just shifts from, you know, a, a problem of justice, a problem of morality. It's, it's less of a moral problem and more of a logical problem of if you really believe that God loves us and wants a relationship with us, uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that we wouldn't at least c- come factory installed with certainty that God exists. And then you get to make your choice as to whether you want that relationship or not. You know, I, I, I grant the premise that it's not very loving to force somebody to love you back. Right. I I totally grant that premise, but I don't grant the premise that, that, um, uh, that the, that that would entail, uh, that not forcing them to love you back is the same as not even letting them know you exist. Right. There's a kind of leap there between those two that, that, um, the, the gap of which I don't think has been filled to my satisfaction in, in um, the responses I've seen. Did that, mm-hmm. that rambling mess of a response? Any, any <laughs> no, no, I'm tracking with you. I do okay. think one of the things I've been thinking about a couple of times, like during this conversation is I do think, I don't know if we're factory installed with belief in God, but I do think like belief in God is a lot more common than we realize. And obviously if you want to get into like specific, like religion it's going to get trickier, but if you're just like, yeah. Hey, like, um, there's a God, like, hey, there's something more than, like, like the material universe. And like most people today and most people across the time are going to be like, yeah, I agree with that. It's really um, – and Emerson brought this up in his Devil's Advocate debate. Like, atheism is a very, like, new and not very common phenomena. doesn't make mean that it's wrong. It just means, like, hey, there's a lot more theists than people realize. Like, it's something, like, in 2050, yeah. like, 85 – 86% of the world is going to be theists still in 2050. Um, or adhere to a religious tradition. That's probably a better way of describing it. Um, yeah. So, so, to, so yeah, two thoughts about that. One is how much that matters depends on how much it matters that you get the right religion, right? You know, get you, 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 you're worshiping the right God, you know, when it comes to your salvation, right? Uh, well, so, that's going to so, depend on like your theology. Like, I'd probably go to something like I talked about earlier with like C.S. Lewis in the last battle. Yeah. Okay. So, so, okay. Barring that, uh, I think I think the reason I would say that that um, I don't think that's a mark against the the 
the inference I'm making here is that we're not, we're talking about, this is not triage, right? We're talking about moral perfection and omnipotence and omniscience, right? So I think it's a problem. The problem of non-belief would be just as robust a problem if there were one non-believer in the whole world, in all of history, there was just one non-believer. You'd still have the same problem, right? If there were one person that that God just didn't reveal themselves to, or or didn't, you know, that, that they're one person that suffered the cost of not having a relationship with God, um, given that God wants a relationship and loves that person um, and wants that person to know He exists. Uh, I think the problem still remains because a morally perfect God would have no more tolerance for one person failing to be saved than for you know seven billion. Or so I, so I think so for me like that's one of the big things like pushing me away from like any sort of like super hard determinism like I think like under Calvinism the idea um it's hard for me to see how you know God just creates people um and they're just like going to hell like that's it end of story yeah um, yeah, yeah so I mean I would, I would hold to something like you know God creates us with freedom um because freedom is a good thing to have so like in in that kind of scenario we make it a little bit more like things you can explain stuff with if you say like hey there's this idea of like freedom which is a very good thing so like god can't ultimately like force you one way or the other um and like you got to make that choice on your own and you got to recognize like and you know there's things like general revelation that we could talk about like sin and like every, i think you know i think to some degree you could say like everyone on you know like there's things like romans one and i'm not gonna be like oh everyone just hates god because I, I think that's a terrible way of thinking about it um but i think yeah. that like you can say like there is something like I think most people have some sort of sense of like right and wrong, which I would say points to God. Um, obviously you probably disagree, but again, I don't uh, know where I'm going. I'm just kind of rambling too. No, no, that's cool. So I, I, I see it as uh, that, there, that there's two distinct um, issues here. One yeah. is, you know, God, God doesn't want to force us to love him and be in a relationship with him right that that's a higher value like that you know the, the free will right is is the is the sort of higher good here um free will is more important than than god you know putting a gun to our head and saying you have to love me right that that's mm -hmm. but but the exercise of that free will is almost moot if we don't know that the choice exists, right? And that's the part that I'm arguing for. I'm saying if we don't even know that there is a God, if we don't, if we don't come, you know, quote unquote, factory installed uh, with a, a a certain amount of certainty that God is that God exists, He's there, He's available, He wants a relationship with us, and He loves us. And now we get to make a free choice as to whether or not to enter into that relationship. That all makes perfect sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is, well, I don't want to force you to love me. So I'm not even going to let you know I'm available to be loved. Right. That is the part. So there, there's a difference between God not forcing us to love him and God not even making his existence known in the first place. And that, that second thing is, is I think, the pro what the problem of non-belief is. Because you at least have to know that God exists and is available for a relationship before you can reject that relationship. Anybody who says that I am rejecting a relationship with God, I think is misspeaking, right? It's not 
a relationship with God I'm rejecting. I'm rejecting the proposition that there is a God to have a relationship with in the first place. I would have to believe that God exists in order to reject a relationship with God. All I'm rejecting is a claim made by fallible human beings, right? And mm -hmm. so I just, I, those two things are, are, are very separate to me. And I think this is fundamental to, the, to, to what the problem of non-belief is, or so I see it. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the things that I've thought about a couple of times. So we've been talking, it's really helpful. Thanks God. Um, yeah. And we only have like 10 minutes left before I have to dip out. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Um, cool. But so very briefly, I wonder like, is there a certain credence level that you need to like commit to like following like say a particular religious tradition? Cause like, I think we talked about like, we agreed that there is no like slam dunk argument on either side. Like there's no, like, like you're not like a 0% chance of God atheist. I'm not a hundred percent chance, like intellectually yeah, yeah. Um, believing in God. So like, what kind of credence do you need to like say, like to commit to Christianity? Like is like a 70% or about 69.9 or 68 or like if you're 50.1, are you good? But 49.9, you're not, right. you're not saved. So for me, like, I have a hard time thinking about like credences. Um, to me, well, it's the, not just admitting. So, but this is this mm -hmm. is like th this is part of the problem of non-belief, as I see it. We shouldn't even be talking about credence right now. It should just be a known thing. I mean, if 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 having if God exists and loves us and wants a relationship with us, there's I can't think of a single morally justifiable reason why credence level should even be a thing. We should all just know that God exists and is available for a relationship. And when I say should, I don't mean, um, I don't mean prescriptively. I mean, descriptively, like deductively, like we should, it, 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 it logically follows. I'm saying that, that, that we would all at least know that God is, that God exists, loves us and, and is available for this relationship. So, so, Here's what I wonder is I'm about to debunk your entire world. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But like for me, like, okay. So thinking of like, would there be any reason for God to like remain some degree hidden? I want to say yes, because I think that it's good for people to, and I'm just, this is something I'm just coming up with. I don't have this all fleshed out, but I think sure. it's good for people to work and live together. Um, I think God's kid, hiddenness can open up some of those doors. So like thinking about like what I'm going to do is I need to get ready and I'm going to like a Christian group after this conversation's over. And one of the things that we have there is the chance to like talk together about like our lives or our journeys, faith, things like this A place where like we can confess sin, um, which I think is super important because, you know, if Christian God exists and he's holy and if I'm sinful, then those are things that I can improve on and become more like Christ and God. And da, da, da. But like for yeah. me, like God's hiddenness, I think would allow for like that sense of like cooperation, like even conversations like this, like if there was a hundred, if we all had a hundred percent certainty, this conversation wouldn't exist. And I think this conversation is a good thing. Um, so I would say that like, what I would say is, is that cooperation is a good thing. And if we all had like a hundred percent, like credence God exists, then what point would there be in like working together on things like this or like Christians, like fellowshipping together or things like that, um, questions. It's just, it seems to me that hiddenness kind of opens up some of these doors. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that. So you can't uh, agree on everything is what you're saying. <laughs> I know. God. What a, uh, we've, we've, what a conversational failure. We didn't walk away completely <laughs> converging on everything. Yeah, I think I think I um, the idea. Well, I'm not sure it's true that I, I, th this conversation is valuable because God because of the uncertainty that God exists. Right. That is mm -hmm. why this conversation is valuable. If God 
if if we knew that God existed, um, I'm not I'm not sure that this conversation would be as valuable, but we wouldn't need to preserve the value of this conversation. We'd be having other valuable conversations if that were true. Mm -hmm. So I just think the counterfactual doesn't really I don't think the counterfactual is is self-consistent there. Um, We don't need this conversation to be valuable. Uh, We just need this conversation to be valuable given the background fact that that God is hidden, right? But if Mm -hmm. God weren't hidden, it would just be the case that different things would be valuable. Um, I don't think this 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 conversation is intrinsically valuable. It's intri- it's it's valuable because of facts about the world. Well, maybe I'm misunderstanding you, but, but like, couldn't uncertainty be a good thing? So, like, think that like like you're an actor. Like, say you went up to your director um, tomorrow, whenever you're back into work, and you're like, "Hey, I had this idea for the show. We're all gonna be happy. There's gonna be no issues, no problems. Everything is good to go. We're done, and we can just film every day for the rest of forever, and everyone's gonna be happy. We're gonna have amazing ratings. Um, surely he's gonna think like maybe like Scott, what are you doing, dude? You're a little crazy right now. Um, like surely like having like plot adversity and questions like isn't that better to have some uncertainty rather than just like a world that's like um, for limited finite creatures and you know there's a problem with heaven? Um, isn't some uncertainty like a good thing to have? Well, okay, but but context matters, right? So imagine me saying to you, do, do you have um, you don't have kids or anything, right? Or or no. do, do you have parents? Uh, yeah, obviously, you I have do parents. have parents. <laughs> um, okay, so so what if I said to you, like, hey Zach, come on, isn't isn't a little uncertain? Shouldn't you be a little uncertain that your mom exists? Like, do you really need? Like, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be a little bit better if you weren't totally sure you even had a mom? Like, wouldn't that be just a little bit better? Like, wouldn't that be more? Wouldn't that make your relationship with your mom more valuable if you weren't sure she even existed in the first place? If you weren't just totally mm-hmm. sure, if you were just just had some doubts as to whether your mom even existed, wouldn't that be better? I mean, that if somebody said that to you, you would think they were crazy, right? Like mm-hmm. that. That that's not. That's almost a nonsense question. And that is the context in which we're talking about certainty and uncertainty here. Uncertainty is really good. Uncertainty is really important. And you can have, there's just a, there's a cornucopia of uncertainty you can still have. You know, I, I love my wife, right? I, I know my wife exists. I see her every day. I have a relationship with her. And yet she, there are many things about her that are still mysterious to me that I'm still uncertain about. I don't always know what she's thinking. I don't always know what she, why she chooses what she does. We could have that kind of relationship with God, but at least we would have a relationship. The, the kind of certainty I'm talking about is, is the certainty that is necessary to have a relationship in the first place. Once you have that loving relationship, add all the uncertainty you like. That's healthy. It's good. But that's not the uncertainty I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think to have a relationship with God, like you're not going to have to, you don't have to have that complete certainty that he exists. And I think some uncertainty is a good thing. So that's where I'm probably going to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah. that And that depends on your soteriology, you know, so mm-hmm. um, cool. Yeah. Well, I think, I, be, I, I, I mean, I know, I know they're out there like precepts and stuff, but I don't think there's many people huh. like Christians out there that would say like, I have a hundred percent certainty that like God exists or something like that. And like, like for me, like, like I could say like, I get a lot wrong, but I am a hundred percent committed to christianity and i'm not saying like i mess up so much um but like that's what i'm committed to and i don't have like the 100 percent intellectual credence that god exists to match that i mean it's pretty high but like i'm still like i can be to me like i can be committed and not have like complete certainty so yeah well analogously though i, I can say 
in earnest that I don't have a hundred percent certainty that my wife exists. For example, I could be living in a computer simulation. Mm -hmm. I could be delusional, but what matters here is that I believe my wife exists, right? I, mm -hmm. it's, there, there's, this is not something that's keeping me up at night. And I think it, it should be the same way, uh, with, uh, a God, any God that wants, that loves us and wants a relationship with us. Um, in theory is, is mm -hmm. anyway, so that, that's the, that, that's, um, the, a sort of mapping of the, the problem of non-belief as I see it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think this has been good. I don't know. I feel like we're kind of in a good spot to yeah, um, man, totally. wrap up. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up here? No, no. I just really want to thank you. I, I, I feel like um, a lot of uh, uh, interviews, conversations uh, like this, they tend to, it's a little black or white, like either somebody is, lobbing me softballs like the, the, the like just the, the least challenging you know mm. questions possible and e even if it's a christian and they're just afraid to like challenge me on anything mm. you know um yeah. or it's a full-on like almost semi-hostile debate you know and i, I just i just uh i want to thank you for this because um you weren't just interviewing me you were challenging me you were like th you know posing questions to me that are difficult to answer mm -hmm. um but it was like uh really fun and friendly and amicable and uh i just uh yeah man i appreciate you so thank mm -hmm. you yeah well i appreciate you too and i hope for people listening like at least for me like maybe scott's just like way smarter than me um you definitely have better. i need to get a, i need to get a beer that's my one of my biggest struggles that's in life scott um is i can't grow a beer because like i have this but it doesn't connect. So it just kind of looks I weird. So then I just kind of stay with this double because I just don't know what to do. Um, but what I was <laughs> I trying to say you, is like, like I appreciate this conversation because for me, like I'm on the edge of my thinking here, like thinking about these questions of like hell or like soteriology or like the atonement. Like these are things I'm really thinking about like in my own life and I don't have it all figured out. And like for the Christians, like cool. I hope you don't yeah. like get scared and like call me heretic and that stuff. Cause I like, I'm trying like for me, like as a Christian, like I am like ultimately like subservient to scripture. And like, I want to affirm like major careers and things like this but for me it's also important to like be open and upfront and like saying like hey i don't have this like whole question of hell all figured out like there's a lot i don't understand and like i want to be faithful and i'm gonna be like if i'm like if i was put in a position where i had to affirm like some sort of form of eternal conscious torment like i guess i would have to do it and i'd try to defend like a lewis version of hell because that seems plausible it's just to me yeah. i think like within christendom i think there's room for like these these questions basically so i wanted to say this to all my christians like don't worry about me i'm good um but I love this and conversation because it just pushes me and you made me better today. And that's why I love it. So thank you, Scott. Thanks, man. Back at you. I, and I share the same uh, aspirations in, in terms of just building a, a, a robust, defensible worldview that, that I can live with. You know, that's that's what we all want at the end of the day. So um, mm -hmm. and we and we help each other make our worldviews stronger and better. So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, and you can check Scott's channel out. It'll be like added or something. There'll be some way you can follow Scott. I have to figure it out. You know, something. Yeah. Um, and or you can check out the soap opera on CBS. So when it's all just like the same thing every time, please, um, I'll I'll send you my address for my checks in the mail when you yeah it's ever. So very repetitive. So get ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all everyone right, for brother. tuning in. Um, God bless.